Hey guys, welcome back. Today, as our country is in the middle of reopening and trying to mitigate the effects of COVID-19, we're checking in with Angel and Curtison from the National Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. We've had many conversations about how COVID-19 has affected Black communities and people of color. And today we're going to hear about how it's affecting Native communities. The last time we spoke with Angel and Curtison, we talked about how Native women are the most at-risk group for domestic violence, sexual assault, and murder. We also mentioned some of the factors that contribute to this. The historical trauma, being ignored largely as a whole community, and systematic racism, bias, and discrimination, as well as a complex legal system that results in a lack of justice and accountability for perpetrators. So what happens when you take this fragile system and throw in a global pandemic? Hello everyone, uh, my name is Curtis Madoni. I am with the Media and Communications Coordinator with the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Pronouns are he, him, and his. Hey, it's Angel, uh, Executive Director of the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. We are both about two months into uh, this crazy shutdown that has affected our nation. I'm at Combined at Home, I'm guessing you are as well. How is it affecting the people who use your resources? Mm. So we've had weekly calls. We've just moved to bi-weekly with our members to really keep a pulse on what's happening in tribal communities. Um, And so when it first happened, which seems like years ago now, but really it's right six weeks ago, tribal borders were shutting down um, and that progressed into folks, no one in, no one out. And that for our community means that our victim advocates If you didn't work on the reservation, you had to figure out a way to stay connected and stay in touch. So teletherapy, teleadvocacy has become um, literally a lifesaver in a lot of ways, but also we have to name that some folks in our tribal communities don't have cell service. Like they are so far out that they just don't have access to be able to call into therapy, to do um, telebehavioral health. Um, and so that's, the, that's been a progression that we've been trying to keep our partners and our funders mindful of when we're talking about um, the transition into the new COVID world. And then something really unique, and, and I um, have been on national calls where I know that, that this isn't unique to tribal communities, but but everyone kind of who is in the intimate partner movement that folks are not reaching out for shelter the same way that they were before. So um, we know that that call increases are going up to hotlines, that folks are making the calls but not leaving their homes. And so I think what's really interesting and we'll have service providers thinking more long-term about the effects COVID is having, but that it, it's coming secondary, right? That that living in violence is coming secondary to the virus. That there are some things that we are just more fearful and scared of. And sometimes staying in our homes right now makes the most sense for the safety of ourselves, 
for our children, um, then going out and, and living in a congregate situation where the potential for transmission and infection is literally higher. So 47% of the of um, COVID positive cases right now are, are tribal people. Why do you think that is? Communal living, right? Multi-generational homes. We can't mm. afford to isolate. Um, a lot of times the folks from lower income, people of color, households are who we've deemed essential workers. Um, and so they're the folks who still have to leave their homes. Um, there's not the option to telecommute. We literally cannot sit in our homes, like in some parts of the state and, and do what we're doing right now. This is the privilege. And um, we, you know, just even the, the ability to go get groceries, think about the risk that that creates right now. The privilege that I hold as an individual living in the city, I could order my groceries online and have them delivered or even pick them up. You can't do that on the res. Like you, it's just not an option. You have to leave to go get food. And then the possibility of transmission and infection, it's just higher for you. It's just higher for us. Have you seen increased rates of domestic violence during this time? So it's hard to, to talk about tribal data because it's just not there. But one thing that I can definitely name is in the city of Albuquerque, two weeks ago, a report came out that domestic violence calls were up 78%. Um, and so the answer is absolutely yes, it is happening. Um, it's happening a lot more. We're living in pressure cooker homes. Um, but the way in which the systems are responding right now, we're not equipped. They're just not equipped to respond. Um, and so a lot of times what we're finding out is they're trying to mitigate over the phone, conflict resolve over the phone, that just as a society, we're not equipped to deal with the social issues that the virus has exposed. What sort of issues do those include? So definitely outside of talking about police, there's water scarcity. Folks are literally um, trucking in water to eastern parts of the Navajo Reservation. Food scarcity, trucks are delivering food into um, multiple tribal communities in New Mexico because they don't have grocery stores. There's literally, if you're on lockdown and you can't leave your tribal community, there's nowhere to buy food. And then touching back on that technology piece, um, right, that some people not only don't have access to internet, but literally don't have cell service where they live. And so how are they supposed to access services, safety, or even get their kids through school right now? A lot of hotlines are actually concerned that the numbers they're seeing are low because many survivors at home aren't able to call, whether, like you said, they lack cell service or they are too afraid to make that call when their abuser is within earshot or in the same room. Are you expecting to see a giant spike after um, the lockdown is lifted? Um, absolutely. So we've never experienced this in particular, but what we have experienced and, and have information on is after natural disasters happen, 
um, folks reaching out for shelter services and support increases exponentially. So after um, Hurricane Katrina, um, women were leaving their homes, um, they were accessing services and resources. And so a lot of the provider calls that we've been on um, in supporting direct service providers are kind of rest, let's get ready for that influx because it is coming. And we really have to think about changing the way that we serve people, right? So this model of here's an organization, a resource that exists, come to us when you have, um, when you're experiencing violence. That may not work going forward. And, and this has shown that that just may not be the best model for how we do our work and carry this work forward and, and live in, in in our new world, right? And so we're thinking about ways where we get inside of the homes, where we access um, in a safe way, right? And this is where thinking about that cross-movement collaboration really matters. So we know that food boxes are going into homes, right? How do we safely get in resource material into that food box, into that home? How do we, even thinking about the safety of children right now, right? How do we have conversations with our teachers right now who don't have eyes on their students like they used to, who maybe could do um, a mandatory report if they suspected abuse, right? So really talking to the folks who have access into the homes right now and trying to think up and dream up new ways um, in which we interface and collaborate and, and get resources to victims of violence. Are you worried that the percent of like cases against Native women is going up higher in proportion to violence against women who are not in Native communities? I don't know if I've even had the time to sit back and, and think about that, but but just naming it right now and, and asking, you know, is that a possibility? Could that be happening? Absolutely. For all of the reasons that we laid out, I think it's a possibility and it, I think it's something that we should be worried about as an organization, but also as a community and society that we know that this is still occurring, right? We know that violence is still happening and the safety of our children and the safety of our women is a community responsibility. So how are we going to support these folks who need support every, our, our support and our love every single day? I know in my state, um, there are many local tribes who don't even have a hospital on the reservation. So even before, like a month before they did a statewide shutdown, those tribes were closing their borders to people who wanted to come in and visit their beaches. So that's something that we see here as well. Person, do you want to add anything to what we've talked about so far? I'm sure. Um, I think one of the um, barriers that happens too is um, we're talking about um, communication. So a lot of our folks under reservation only have radios. They don't, yeah, they don't have access to a cell phone or to the internet. Um, that's one of them. And also like elders who live by themselves. So like they don't understand the full, um, the English translation to what they're saying on the radio. So there's that. Given the history of the way IHS has treated Native women, you know, like some, so a lot of like our Native relatives don't want to go to the hospital because of all, all these um, past traumas that have happened, you know, the past things that the way they were treated. So there's that as well. And then it just pretty much is just like folks just don't, um, some folks just don't understand, I would say. Um, and then it's just a lot of like, Angel will talk about the food deserts that a lot of our um, relatives live in, you know? My grandma doesn't go to the grocery store, but she has to have someone go. So it's really hard for my uncle 
who doesn't live with her but lives like next to her to go to the store but cannot like go into the house so she has to like someone has to go inside to put the groceries inside for her you know like there's no one there to do that for her so there's that and then mm. it, um yeah I, I mean that's i think i think it pretty much touched on based on a lot of the barriers and issues that that's the reason why a lot of these numbers are going up under reservations um but other over the I think overall too, it's just like, again, you know, we're not prioritized, but finally we're starting to get national attention. So we're starting, you're starting to see us on CBS or CNN um, and, and ABC, like, okay, you know, like it's really affecting all tribal folks and in our state they're, they're doing, um, what they call, shout outs for like, even so even our own community members are, are the, only, the ones who are actually asking for donation. Are reaching out onto social media and telling our online relatives, "Hey, we are we are starting this donation drive. Please spread the word." What sort of advice would you have for a Native woman who is in you know, who's way out in the desert, no cell reception, under quarantine, and needs help? The the resources are still here, right? The organizations like ours, organizations that are nearer. Um, where these folks are experiencing violence are, are still functional. That advocates, victim advocates, sexual assault victim advocates have all been deemed essential, right? So these are all folks who are still doing their work right now. So when, when it is safe to reach out for help that, that we're still here, we all have a role in violence prevention. And maybe your role if you're listening to this and you are in a rural tribal community is finding out a way to reach into that home and just check in too. Um, because how violence is perpetuated is when we allow it to be silent, right? And so if you have the ability, if any of us have the ability right now in this moment to be checking on our relatives and connecting with, with the people we love and care about, we should be doing that as well. Not just the responsibility of the victim to reach out because, and then also not to put all of the responsibility and weight on the victims, right? That it may be impossible for her right now. And so if you suspect it, not necessarily that we haven't covered in terms of the problem, but in terms of this being a pivoting moment for so many of our communities, that I really encourage people to think like that right now, right? So we're seeing those deep inequities that we talked about, food, water, technology, violence, just check in. It could be as simple as that. Is there anything else related to COVID-19 that we haven't covered that you'd like to do right now? That, that there's so much movement happening around the way to respond to this to not forget to stop and think and imagine what our futures could look like right now if we paid attention to not just the crisis moment but the larger systems that allow for this crisis moment to be perpetuated in the way that it is i really appreciate the work you guys do it's really inspiring to hear from you and thank you so much for taking so much time to talk to me in the, this moment of crisis. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having us on here as well.
before we sign off, I want to add a quick note. Kirsten mentioned historical trauma involved with interacting with the medical community. In the 60s and 70s, Native women, an estimated one out of four Native women, were sterilized against their will or without their consent. And since COVID-19 is a medical issue that requires interacting with medical professionals, this could be a huge barrier in terms of seeking help. Side note, black women also received these forced sterilization as well. If coronavirus has revealed anything in our country, it's that people of color, marginalized communities, have long suffered as a result of institutionalized racism and systematic discrimination. Symptoms that are now manifesting in higher death rates from the coronavirus. Not because of genetics, but because of where they've been forced to live, the trauma they've been forced to endure, and a system that's long ignored their needs. The question now is, we see these issues, we see these problems, but what are we going to do about it? That's it for this week. If you want to reach us, please email us at thedvdiscussion at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We all have stories, and they deserve to be heard. See you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.